This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Hey everybody. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hello to all you Faith Bible Church people out there in Facebook and YouTube land. And uh, welcome to any others who are joining us online. Um, I'm anxiously awaiting the day that we will be able to meet together in person again. Um, But for now, let's just stay in touch through email and phone calls and social media. There's, There's probably a lot of people out there who are suffering during this health crisis. And we would all do well to remember the words of the Apostle Peter. He said, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Let's pray. Father, in this hour, let us remember that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that you're going to have in store for us. Where we pray that you strengthen us and protect us through this time. Father, we pray for our loved ones. We pray for our leaders. Lord, we pray for our enemies. Lord, that they would know you, the only one and true God. Father, we pray that you would Teach us through your word today, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and draw us closer to yourself and to one another. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, it looks a little different today. Um, We had some technical problems, and uh, so we're not able to broadcast through the phone, so I'm doing it right off the desktop, Um, but it'll work out. Uh, I have Gina here with me, and she's helping, and we'll get through this. So, we're continuing our series on the wisdom literature of the Bible today, and it's a series called Ancient Wisdom, Modern Times, and we're discovering how the timeless wisdom of God applies to us and guides us in this high-speed, sophisticated era of ours. So last week, we learned um, that wisdom must begin with the fear of God. All wisdom comes from God, and any attempts to divorce that from him will end in disaster. We learned that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. 
that it prepares us to know what to do in any given situation. Last week, we saw the, in the introduction to Proverbs several words that describe wisdom. And I want to focus on one today. That word was equity. And it carries with it the connotation that things are well-ordered. We know that apart from God, things are in a state of disorder in this world. You could say that Proverbs, along with the rest of the wisdom literature, is here to teach us to bring order from chaos. There's a modern proverb that goes, a place for everything and everything in its place. And who among us can say that we prefer to, for things to be messy and disorganized and chaotic um, rather than being neat and orderly and peaceful? Um, even those of us who are messy, uh, deep down, we wish that we were more organized. So why is that? Well, it's because our God is a God who creates order out of chaos. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. Peace here is <clears throat> hearkening back to the Old Testament idea of shalom, which is not an absence, an absence of conflict. Shalom means that everything is as it ought to be. And because you and I are created in the image of God, then we're drawn towards orderliness and peace. So even the pagans understand this concept. Aristotle said that man is a political animal. What he meant by that is that we have this inner drive to shape the world around us. And this is how the world began. The very first verse in the Bible describes God creating order out of chaos. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was ho hovering over the face of the waters. So it says that originally the earth was without form and void. And this is a poetic phrase in Hebrew. It's tohu vabohu. Tohu means a wasteland confusion, formlessness, and bohu means empty. We have no idea what this looked like. I imagine a big black blob. Some theologians believe that this state of existence was brought about by a pre-Adamic fall. That is, there was another creation before God created Adam's race, and it fell into sin and was judged. Um, so, I'm not convinced that's true. The, the theological argument for that is pretty thin, and chaos is not necessarily the result of evil. It could just be potential order, a blank canvas. So either way, there's no order at this point in the universe. It was a canvas upon which God would paint his creation in six days. And the first thing he did was to bring light into darkness. Let there be light. And then step by step, he brought the most intricate and exquisite order out of this big mess of nothing. From the movements of the galaxies and the solar systems to the amazing complexities of atoms and molecules and cells, he created order. Interestingly, 
after he was finished making the earth, he made the first man his co-regent in creation to continue to create order in the world. And that was before sin entered into the world. Mankind was tasked with tending the garden. He was responsible for naming all the animals. God gave Adam a wife and commanded them both to have children and subdue the earth. The theologians call this idea the cultural mandate. We participate with God in the ongoing process of bringing chaos out of order. And this is the purpose of wisdom literature. It teaches us to rightly order our lives in this chaotic world. So today, we're going to consider the first major division in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is divided into several sections, and this section is chapters 1 through 9. It contains several poems, longish poems, that describe the difference between wisdom and folly. And we'll touch on some of those poems, but we won't go into detail. Um, But we will begin by looking at the last two poems that sum up the whole nine chapters. So we're going to use them as a jumping off point in order to show us how we can participate with God as co-regents in his creation in three spheres of life. Order in our personal life, order in our family life, and order in our community life. So let's go to God's word. And it would be helpful if you have your Bibles, um, because I'm going to have a lot of verses from Proverbs today, and they won't all be on the screen. We begin in Proverbs 9, in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. And then Proverbs 9.13, the woman of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the inspired and holy word of God. So we have two scenarios presented to us here, an invitation from Lady Wisdom and a counteroffer from Madam Folly. As I said, this is the culmination and summing up of the first nine chapters of Proverbs. This whole section is written as an instruction from a father to a son, but it is still applicable to all of us, male or female, young or old. Throughout this section, there's this juxtaposition, it's easy for me to say, uh, between wisdom and folly. So we begin by looking at how an individual can create order out of the chaos in their personal life. The thing that sets this book apart from other ancient literature is the unique covenant that God made with his chosen people. His chosen people, Israel. 
Yahweh is God's covenant name. That's the name he used with Moses when he made this covenant. And it's used throughout the book of Proverbs. The overarching theme of the whole book is the fear of Yahweh. And that's the beginning of wisdom. So, as we said last week, although the wisdom in this book will help us live better lives, the main focus is that we should be in a right relationship with God. One of the most well-known passages from Proverbs, um, and one of my favorite passages in the Bible, um, and I don't have it up on the screen. Sorry. Uh, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You probably know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. This is a call to faith. It's not merely works. We must trust him and acknowledge him in an intimate, all-pervading covenant relationship. It's not a transaction where we just follow the rules and then he gives us success in life. It goes back to that idea that I mentioned before of co-regency. We're genuinely participating with God in governing this world. The, the new King James that I just quoted says, he will direct our paths. That is, he shows us the proper way to go, the wisdom to do what's right in any given situation. The Old Covenant <clears throat> applied to the whole nation of Israel and to each individual in Israel. When children came of age, they were responsible to abide by the covenant. But who was responsible to teach the children? Well, look at the first verse that follows the introduction that we did last week. Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Huh. That's odd. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. So, a son learned to fear the Lord and to keep the covenant from his parents. But now that he's become a young man, he can either continue to fear the Lord or he can listen to foolish voices. And the particular temptation in this first poem is the lure of joining a gang. Uh, verse 11, they call him saying, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Did you think that gangs were a modern thing? Well, not at all. There's been gangs ever since the beginning of recorded history. And what is the allure of gang membership? It's easy money and camaraderie. Uh, verse 13 in chapter 1 says, We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot am among us, and we will have one purse. Gangs promise the good life. The good life with your buddies, but the reality is far different from that. We've all seen the gangster movies, right? Where they send your best friend uh, when they want to when they want to kill you, 
So <clears throat> if someone is going to betray their loyalty to God, then why wouldn't they betray their friends and family as well? Living contrary to the truth is always short-sighted. It trades short-term gain for long-term misery. It's true both in this life and in eternity. The alcoholic has um, momentary pleasure and loses everything in the end. His family, his job, his health. It's the same for all sinful lifestyles. This poem ends with this. <clears throat> but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. Throughout this whole section, the consequences of wickedness are proclaimed again and again. Proverbs 132 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and complacency of fools destroys them. Theirs is a chaotic, it's an uncomprehending life. It says in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 19, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And it leads to waste and re regret. Proverbs 5, 10, 11, and 12 says, Your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and the end of your life you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, How I hated discipline, and how my heart despised reproof. So foolishness tears down, but wisdom builds up. Wisdom promises only good things, both in the present life and in the long run. Proverbs 133 says, but whoever listens to me, wisdom, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And then Proverbs 221 says, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. Now look at Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. These are the promise, These are the promises of the covenant with Israel. They're promises and blessings of peace. And there's that word shalom again. There's safety and abundance if they keep the covenant. Those were earthly and temporal. They were promises that were for this life, but the covenant that we have with God now is spiritual and eternal. And even here, we get a glimpse of the eternal in Proverbs. Look at verse 16. Long life in her, is in her hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. So where have we heard of this tree of life before? It was the tree in the Garden of Eden, and it conferred eternal life on those who ate of its fruit. In the first couple, they were banished from the garden after they sinned, so they wouldn't be stuck in their eternal sinfulness. So God removed them from the garden. It didn't allow them to eat of that tree of life. But wisdom opens the gates again. And lets us back into the garden to eat. Look at the end of the scriptures in 
Revelation 2.7. This is what we have coming for us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So those individuals who fear God and have an ear to hear, um, they come out of the darkness and chaos and into the light, the light of salvation. And this verse says it's the one who conquers or who has overcome in other translations. And there's only one way to overcome death. Look at 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the only way for an individual to escape from chaos and into order. From confusion to peace, you must believe in Jesus. But individuals don't exist apart from other individuals. Every human being is first a member of the family of Adam. And then we all have an immediate family of origin. So <clears throat> we see a lot about family in the pages of Proverbs. And we're going to go into detail concerning marriage and children later in the series. But I want you to see in this overview that marriage is the assumed basis for order in this life, both in the family as well as in society. And anything that threatens that order, especially sexual sin, is foolishness and works against the orderly way that things are supposed to be. So the woman of folly in our text this morning is portrayed as a madam at a brothel. Let's look at that again. Proverbs 9, 13. The woman of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She's brash and she's arrogant and she loudly lures young men in by appealing to the immediate pleasures of the flesh. So why do you think God is so concerned about sexual sin? Now, why should God care who we sleep with? Well, it's because sex outside of a lifelong commitment in marriage between a man and a woman is not the way things ought to be. They're not the way things God designed them to be. They're out of order. And it robs humanity of the goodness that God intends for us. It destroys family. It, it leaves children scarred for life. And it brings death, not life. But wisdom protects us from that. Look at Proverbs 2, verse 16. So, by wisdom, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. This is life and death stuff. All throughout the Old Testament, God uses the metaphor of adultery 
for mankind's rebelliousness towards him. Tragically, people don't realize how much God loves them and wants to love them more than they could even imagine. He wants to be a faithful husband and provide everything for his bride, the church. When God do, when, when people do marriage God's way, it creates an atmosphere of love and stability. Children are protected and they learn discipline. Spouses are secure in their relationships. Godly marriage brings order out of chaos. And the order that family brings, brings order to the whole community. I noticed something about Lady Wisdom in our passage. She is industrious. She creates wealth. Look at that again. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. So Lady Wisdom is industrious. She builds substantial homes. She builds, <clears throat> she builds them with seven pillars. This describes something that's solid and lasting. And she's made her own wine, and she's grown her own cattle. And now she's prepared a banquet, and she wants to invite the community in to share it with him. Look at verse 3 in Proverbs 9. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. <clears throat> Madam Folly only wastes society's resources. She's lazy. She sits on the couch and she lures the suckers in to spend their hard-earned money on things that are worthless. But Lady Wisdom, she gives. Madam Folly, she takes. Lady Wisdom brings order out of chaos. Madam Folly perpetuates the chaos. And as Christians, we can contribute to society in many tangible ways. We can be salt and light. We can bring order out of chaos through the wisdom that God gives us. Have you ever heard of the broken window theory? Well, it's no longer a theory. Back in the early 80s, social scientists discovered that in declining neighborhoods, if a broken window goes unrepaired, then soon all the windows will be broken. When no one cares about the disorder in a community, then it tends to deteriorate. But when citizens begin to take pride in their neighborhoods and refuse to tolerate destructive behavior, things quickly turn around. Believers should be on the forefront of these kinds of efforts. So when we live according to the principles of wisdom, we too will create order out of chaos in our communities. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And he brought order out of chaos. And it was through his wisdom that he accomplished it. If we had more time, we could look into the poem in chapter 8 of Proverbs, where wisdom is personified and speaks of how she was there with God when he made the earth. She says, when he prepared the heavens, I was there in 827. But 
the personification of wisdom is not just a literary device. Wisdom was personified in the flesh through the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us that he was there in the beginning. In John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the light of the world who came to dispel the chaos of darkness. Matthew quotes Isaiah 9.2, saying, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. John writes, in him was life, and life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, chaos, but will have the light of life. Only by turning from our sin." To the Savior, can we have that shalom that God intended for us? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have made things good, that everything you made was good. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to participate with you in bringing things back to that shalom. Lord, in our personal lives, in our family lives, and in the life of our community, Lord, that we might be a part of this great plan of salvation that you have for the world. So Lord, we give you praise and thanks, and we give you all the honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. So our benediction today comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who call, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. So uh, we'll see you next week, and um, be sure to like our Facebook page or um, subscribe to the YouTube page. That'll help us a lot. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.